This idea of joy has been uh, regular for me, uh, coming up regularly for me over the last few, uh, I guess, weeks, maybe two or three weeks. And uh, so I, I just want to throw it out today because I feel like uh, I feel like the Lord wants me to to just kind of give us a checkup. Everybody ready? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, ready to receive this because it's not in the sermon. Everybody ready for it? Say, oh, yeah. Because I want you to take, I mean, if you, can, if you need some time to get your act together, put your stuff together, kind of get your mind focused, I can give you time for that. Anybody? Everybody good? All right. All right, we don't need time for that? Y'all sure? Look at y'all. All right, I may need a little time over here for just a minute. Uh, the thing that kept coming to my mind when he, when he was singing Be My Joy and just the, the, uh, also the All My Fountains Are In You, that concept or idea of, you know, of God's fountain flowing through us and, and that's all we need is the fountain of God flowing through us and then also making us witnesses to the world around us. You know, what we have to offer people is, is joy and it's what people want. It's what I want. It's really the only thing that you can offer them that they don't already have. Uh, you know, we can, I mean, we can, surely we can make people's lives a little bit easier and, you know, kind of help them uh, by giving them money or time or whatever else. But ultimately, none of that stuff satisfies. And if you give people that, typically what happens is they take it and then they, they still want more because the one thing that, that God can give that nobody else can give is this kind of contentment and joy that comes only from him. And, and, and you know, it doesn't come from being in church, okay? Everybody say, oh, yeah, you heard that? It doesn't come from just sitting in his building. It's not about being in a life group. It's not about being with God's people. That's not what brings the joy. Really, the joy is ought to be what motivates us to be with the people, and we bring that with us to the people. Uh, but I know this to be true. I know this to be true today, so you just check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right, you check yourself where you are. I know this to be true. There, all of us today, or many of us, most of us, are sitting in here with some kind of something that keeps stealing our joy. And, and it, it can be anything. Church can steal your joy. It stole mine for years. Trying to be religious and perpetuate religion and, you know, and, and make people do things they didn't want to do. That's what my ministry was like for years is, and I was a pretty good motivator, so I always felt good about myself. But, you know, because I could get people to do something they didn't want to do. But when you, when you come to a place where you're like we were singing about today, that, that, that your motivation, uh, you know, be the end to which all my affections lead, that last line, that, that girl could write. That's a great line. Be the end to which all my affections lead. If it comes from your heart, man, you're really loving God, you know God, and you're loving him because you know him, not because somebody's telling you you've you got to do spiritual stuff. Man, that's where joy comes from. It's walking with God and leaving all the results up to him. You know, but here's what happens for all of us. There's aspects of our lives where we're in control. That is sin. Okay, it doesn't matter what it is. You taking control of something is sin. Doesn't matter whether it's your righteousness or if it's your if it's your if it's your paganness, pick it. It's sin. Uh, you know, it, it might be that right now you are you are you have a certain end in mind of where you're going, and you're and that end's not coming quick enough. That's not finding your joy in God. That's finding your joy in some end, whatever that is. If it's if you're a certain place you want to be in your life, 
uh, or if it's, a, you know, if it's in your spiritual life. This past week, somebody was talking to me, I think I can't name names, but somebody was talking to me this past week about that, just about, man, I get so down whenever I fail over and over again. That is robbing you of your joy. That is the thing that is your God, whatever it is. Why are you worried about that? Man, keep your eyes focused on Christ, and those other th- that, that stuff's going to eventually melt away. The stuff that you don't want in your life, it's eventually going to go away. Uh, I was reading this morning a post from a friend uh, who posted about a, a guy who came to pray at the altar and wouldn't pray because he felt guilty because he didn't treat his wife right that day. You know, I, I get that, and I have some of that in me too, but, it, but to, to not communicate with God because of my failure is, means I got something wrong. God is there. He's already given me the grace to, to cover my sin. So you, whatever it is for you today, if it's your job, if it's your, your finances, if it's your spouse, if it's your kids, um, man, don't let that stuff steal your joy away. Just trust in the Lord and obey what he says. Walk in his plan for your life, and those things eventually are going to melt away. Uh, David, we read this this morning. It's so cool. Uh, a couple of things I just want to say before we move on, but... In our prayer time this morning, we read Psalm 16 was one of the things that came up in our reading today. And in Psalm 16, David says, because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I've set the Lord before me. And he's at my right hand, so I won't be shaken. And then he says, also in that, he says, uh, cursed or something like that is the man who chases after other gods. You know, if you, wanna, if you, if you don't have joy in your life, the, the chances are, that you're chasing after some other God. Now, I know it doesn't, listen, I'm not talking about Buddha or, you know, or Krishna or uh, I'm not talking about even money or any of that stuff. It might be some stuff that, that you're not even considering. It might be you're chasing after goodness. It might be you're chasing after righteousness by somebody's demand or theology, good stuff that could be good. But you start chasing after that stuff and it, and it robs you of your joy. So here's what I can say to you this morning. Y'all ready? If you don't have joy this morning, check yourself. There's a problem. There's a God. There's a something that you're chasing after. That's not God. Because if you're chasing after God, uh, you know, and, and he is your joy, and he is your purpose, and he is your, your reason for living, then you trust that he's going to take care of all those other issues that start taking control of your head. Uh, it, if you're not joyful today, then chances are you're chasing after some other God. I would say it's absolutely true. So do what Paul said. We also read the story of Elisha and Elijah. Whenever Elisha, um, and I'm saying this because I think some of you need to draw a line today and be done with this. But Elisha, when Elijah uh, was, God told Elijah to anoint Elisha to be the next prophet. Elijah, I mean, Elisha was you know, obviously overwhelmed, didn't think that God would call him to be a prophet because he knew Elijah, and they were so close. But when Elijah came and put his cloak on Elisha, he was out in the field doing what he did every day, plowing the field. He had oxen. He was working the field, planting his crop, doing his job. And when Elijah Elijah put his cloak around Elijah, and Elijah knew, okay, this is God's anointing on me. I'm going to be the next prophet. Then he immediately stopped and he asked Elijah for permission to go and tell his to go tell his parents goodbye. Elijah gave him the permission. Then he came back and he 
took his plows and he made a fire and he burned up his his uh, oxen. In other words, he 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 totally demolished everything that would be anything to go back to. He had one thing: I'm trusting in God. I'm going this direction. Whatever God, I'm, I totally feel inadequate, but I'm called by God. I'm going to be empowered by God, so I'm going to walk with God. And I don't even want the temptation of being able to go back and plow fields anymore. I just ate my tractor. (laughs) I'm done with that. Same thing with Peter. When Peter was called, Jesus said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Peter left his nets. He didn't go back to fishing until after Jesus was gone. We need that. And I'm not so much in our jobs, but listen, if your job is the thing that you, that's holding you bondage and your joy is not there, you need to step across the line. You need to say, okay, God, I'm done with this. And, and do take the steps necessary not to come back to it. Learn to walk with God. Get to know him, man. That's what this is all about. Uh, we've been, uh, so for you, I hope, man, that speaks to you because I feel like the Lord wanted me to say that this morning uh, in addition to what we have planned for today. Uh, now, we are talking about what it means to be an elder or a deacon and what it means to be a, uh, a child of God who walks with God, who is stretching with all of your energy towards, uh, towards uh, knowing God through obedience. What does that look like in the life of anybody? And then as we move towards uh, electing elders uh, and deacons, which will come in, uh, probably in the fall, as we, make, uh, as we move that direction, then we also want to know who are, the, who are the men in this body and women in this body who are really stretching toward that with all their heart, who are really moving toward that. Men as elders, women and men as deacons, who are the ones that are really stretching toward that? Who are the real servant leaders in our body who we see not these characteristics but see a stretching toward these characteristics because none of us have these uh, and if you're looking for that, you'll have to wait and let Jesus be your elder when you get up to heaven. But on the earth, there's people who are stretching towards it with all their effort, man. They're making their way toward those things. They have crossed the line and, and no turning back. I'm not going back to, to uh, not pursuing God. I'm pursuing God, and I want these characteristics in my life. And it's evident in their life. It has to have something, has to change in your heart for you to be that person. All right, so... All you guys need to seek, all of us together, what we seek is to know God. We want to know him. We want to, we're asking God to change our hearts in such a way that he becomes our all. All right? And this will be what it looks like. So we do want to evaluate ourselves. We want to check and see what, what it is that, where it is that we stand in relation to these characteristics. So let me pick up uh, again. We'll, we'll talk about, uh, we're in Romans chapter, um, Romans, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we've been in verse 2 for quite some time because we're, we're muddling our way through these characteristics. Uh, but, but it's very clear to, for, uh, to, to Timothy and that Paul is, is saying these are the things you need to look for in people that are pursuing God. He says in verse 2, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. Now, we'll stop there because that's where we left off. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be hospitable or hospitable. You spit, you probably said it right. Hospitable. All right, it, it obviously pertains to hospitality. 
And I've heard a lot of things, and so have you, about what it means to, to, to provide or to give hospitality to somebody. Uh, most thing that I heard, up and felt, heard and felt guilty about growing up was that if you see a, a homeless man on the side of the street, you should take him into your house and provide for him and become their, uh, their providers, okay? Um, now, I would say that that's uh, hospitable. But it's not what the scripture is talking about. The Bible is not saying that we should go and find the homeless people and put them in our homes, take them into our homes. Uh, but if you were to do that, if you were to find somebody that was homeless and you bring them into your homes, there's some things you would want to know before you did, did that. And that does have a little bit of the feel of what hospitable means. Uh, but in, in this case, there were lots of, in this time, and in the, con- in the context of this scripture, there were a lot of Jewish people who were, who were in... Uh, in bondage in different lands and they'd been dispersed and they didn't have homes. Uh, they lost their homeland because God kicked them out of it. And so really the, the truest sense of this in context is taking care of the, the, of Israel, the people of God, when they would come into a, into a village to visit or would come into, would come into your village that it was their responsibility to take care of them. And there were very specific ways that they did it. Uh, it means to pursue hospitality, by the way. Uh, it was necessary because these, these Jewish people had been banished and, and uh, needed and, and been persecuted. But it was not only furnished when people sought it, it was always made available. So there are some, some ways in which uh, all of us need to have plans for hospitality, whatever it means. All right, And it also had something to do with the body of God, uh, with the church. So we're going to talk about that and what it means for us as elders to be hospitable. But we need to be proactive regarding hospitality. Uh, in the ancient Near East, hospitality was the process of receiving outsiders and changing them from strangers to guests. So if you wanted to take a, an idea or concept, this is what we're doing. And there may be different meanings for us today, but here's the idea is that we receive strangers in such a way that we are turning them from strangers to guests. That's our goal in giving hospitality. In uh, Leviticus 19, 34, here's the command uh, that Israel had regarding hospitality. It says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So that was a principle that, uh, that the Jewish people lived by. And there were some, some things that they did that were part of that tradition, which I think speak very well to what the Lord would have us to do at the gathering place. So perk your ears up and listen to this. I think it has a great meaning for us. So to move somebody from a stranger to, or from a guest, a stranger to, uh, to family, basically, or to, to uh, move them to a point of being not just strangers, but guests for us um, there were three things that they did that were common the first thing was they tested the stranger strangers in their day obviously as as in our day posed a threat not only physically uh, to the village and to the community and the church that they were part of but also spiritually to just receive somebody into the body uh, and and receive them as a guest rather than as a stranger um, would mean allowing them to speak into the lives of the people that were a part of your of your of the body, and so they tested them. There was a time of testing. Uh, 
there are a lot of things that they did. One of the things uh, in uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 17, the Gezerines, uh, the story of Jesus casting out uh, the demons from the demoniac, um, uh, they, they did what was right in their eyes when they told Jesus, they asked Jesus to leave after he cast the demons into the pigs and the pigs ran over the, uh, you know, ran over the cliff and they all died. Uh, the people asked Jesus to live. That was a test. Allowing Jesus to, to speak was one thing. And then when he didn't do what they felt like was right, they opposed him. Uh, so that's, that was one of the tests. Uh, allowing someone to speak was a common way of, of testing a stranger to see if it was okay for them to be a part of the body. In Acts chapter 13, verses 13 to 16, this happens for Paul and his companions. Look at it. Verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came near Persia and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Persia and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue tested them. Here's the test. said, he sent a message to them saying, brothers... If you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. All right, that was a common way to test strangers. If, if a stranger walked into the, the, the uh, temple and were asked to, or tabernacle, and were asked to speak, that was a way of testing them, okay, and in a, in a good way. And I think that's, that's something that we need to practice in our church. Uh, matter of fact, we do practice that. Uh, when somebody comes into the body, uh, we as elders, if we, t- if we sense any kind of uh, uh, questionable doctrine, or if, if somebody's coming in, y'all know that we've done this from the beginning of the gathering place, even when we were united. We told people straight up, and we'll tell you today, those of you that are visiting with us, uh, we're not looking to fill these, these seats with people to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We're looking for people who believe the way we believe the scripture speaks. And so we want you to know that. And, we, and there's a lot of stuff in this community that's perpetuated, that's called Christian, that we really don't think it is Christian. And it's, and it's done in churches. And we did it. We used to do it. But God's called us out of that. So you'll be tested. You'll be tested. You'll be asked what you believe. Or we'll listen. When we talk about the Lord uh, and we talk about doctrine in our new member training class and we start talking about what we believe and the distinctives of our church, uh, we are testing people to see where they stand. We're giving you the best option. We're doing new member training right now, our orientation with uh, some of our new members, upcoming members. And one of the things I said at the beginning, I always say this, is this, this time is going to do one of two things. It's either going to talk you out of being here or it's going to talk you into being here. You're either going to feel like, I need to get out of here. I'm not coming back next week. I don't care if y'all are having tacos. I'm gone. Or are you going to say, man, it doesn't matter what y'all have next week. If you don't have any food, I'm still coming back because this is what I've been looking for. Okay, that's what you do to test strangers. And that's, that's a part of what we do here. So what happened with Paul and the Jews? Paul did stand up and speak. Uh, look at verse uh, 50 and 52 of chapter 13. Such so as Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Now, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But let me just tell you, the leaders of this church were doing what they're supposed to do. Now, that doesn't sound good, 
I'm not saying that they shouldn't have believed Paul. They should have. But as was their tradition, the ones that were leaders in the church were responsible for testing the strangers. So they did. They let them speak. And, of course, when Paul and, and, and his companions spoke, everybody in the town said, hey, will you come back next week and speak again? And we're going to gather more people. And crowds were gathering. And the, and the Jewish leaders, the, the leaders of the church, saw that Paul was leading his people, leading the people to believe something differently than the law, that they were believing in Jesus instead of the law. And so they wanted to shut him up. And so they did. That's part of what they do. We'll get to that in just a second. So they were doing what they felt they needed to do. Uh, and and that's, their, that's their role, testing the strangers. And if once you've tested a stranger, uh, once we do that, we test strangers who come into the body. Before we allow them to be members of the Gathering Place West, we test them. Uh, but once that test is done, then the, then, uh, the third thing, our third, the second part of this testing uh, was that they would turn the strangers into guests or receive the strangers as guests. And since there were so many transient strangers uh, that didn't have any kind of legal standing within that community, it was the, it was the job of believers uh, to accept them and to turn them into guests. So that's where we talk about taking someone into my home. Uh, it, it, that's where we talk about taking someone and making them feel welcome. Now, we don't have a lot of that going on today. We don't have a lot of uh, strangers who, again, who walk into this body uh, seeking God and seeking fellowship with, this, with believers here who don't have a place to live. Uh, it's, it's, it's very uncommon in this town, really, and there's really no need for anybody to be homeless uh, because our government provides help, and we help to prov- help the government to provide help. Uh, but one thing we know is that people do come in here as strangers, not understanding what we believe, or maybe they are they feel drawn to be here. Some of you who are here today are, you know, again, you're feeling drawn to be here maybe, but you don't really know so much what we believe. Well, after a time of testing and you begin to see what we believe, then it's our job to accept you and to make you a part. And so we do that in a number of different ways as a church. We receive you into, again, into new member orientation so you can understand a little deeper what we're about. But then also we have life groups where you can go and live and fellowship and be a part of community with a small portion of the body that that, uh, we call the Gathering Place West. Uh, That's the way we receive you, make you a part of that body. Uh, you know, there are some that have certain problems uh, being able to provide for themselves, and we do that as well. Uh, we do that within the context of our small groups. So that's something that elders need to be good at is, is taking strangers and moving strangers from strangers to guests, not avoiding that responsibility, but taking that on. All of us do, taking on the responsibility of moving them from strangers to guests. And then the third, the third phase of of testing was uh, moving them from guest to transform stranger. Now, in those days, again, a lot, of, a lot of times these people were transient, so they would come in and they would be a part of the body. They would be accepted or, or rejected. Sometimes they would be rejected. Uh, Paul talks about an Acts, or uh, Paul did this. Uh, Luke talks about an Acts, about the fact that because Paul and they were not received, they left that town and they shook the dust off their feet. There's another place in Scripture where Jesus told, he sends out 72 in pairs, and they go into these villages. He said, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. That's the idea. It's this idea of 
of hospitality. If they, if they don't show hospitality to you and not only receive you, but receive the message that you're giving, shake the dust off your feet. So that was one of the responses of a, of a, a, a guest who was, or maybe he wasn't a guest, but if it was a transformed stranger, there was two responses. When he walked away from your town and went back onto the road, he either shook the dust off of his feet or he spoke highly of you. And they would, that was common, was to just speak highly of the community. So a good, for instance, is when Jesus uh, talks about uh, the church at uh, Thessalonica and how they had provided for him out of their poverty, that even though they were poor, they continued, uh, uh, Paul rather, how the, even though they were poor, they provided for Paul a tremendous amount of, of help out of their poverty. They gave, they sacrificed themselves in order to see Paul's ministry continue. That's, uh, and then, of course, we hear about it because Paul's talking about it. So that's the result. So those three things are something that we, we definitely want to be a part of at the gathering place. We've, I believe that everybody in this body needs to be those kind of people. Not pulling homeless people off the street and bring them into your home, unless God says do it. Just make sure it's God. Uh, but, but reaching out to people who are reaching out to us. You know, even, even our, our reaching out to people in the workplace who are desperately in need for what you know this body has to give. You know, they may not have made it into the, into the church building yet or into a life group yet, but just giving what God's given to us to others. That's hospitality. It's, it's listening and testing and seeing if this is what they're looking for and then giving it to them and, and involving other people in their lives as well. So I hope that, you, that all of us feel a, uh, a desire to be a part, to be those kind of people who, who are taking people who might be at this point lost and wandering, uh, but we see something, the light of God inside of them, and we become the answer to the questions that they're answering and involve them and invite them to be a part of community with us. Does that make sense? Acts chapter 13, verses 51 and 52. I just want to bring out verse 52 mainly, but when they shook their, it says that they, they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. But look at what he says in verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I, I hope you feel that. Uh, I think there's one characteristic of the gathering place that I have, that I've never experienced anywhere else. And that is that we have joy in keeping the body pure. That we, we're, we're, we don't take joy in filling the seats with people because that's, our joy is not in ourselves. It's not in trying to be successful or look successful. But our joy is in, is in allowing God to use us to make strangers that need to be a part of this body a part. And so, it, you know, I don't have to say with reluctance and with a, with a hard heart, hey, if this is not the place for you, don't stay. Go somewhere else. Now, I know we have a lot of empty seats. We've got plenty of space to put more people, but we're not about that. I say that with joy. It fills my heart with joy to be able to say for the first time in my ministry, we don't care. Uh, now, we care about you, but we don't care necessarily if, if every person that walks in the door stays and, feel, and wants to be a part of this body. We need to protect it. And so elders have that responsibility to protect this body and keep it uh, pure. Keep it. Keep, stay on the vision of what God's called us to do. All right. Let's move on to the next one. 
First Timothy 3, 2 also says an, uh, an overseer uh, must be able to teach. Now, this is taking on a, a really a different form uh, in a lot of churches these days. Uh, a lot of people, because uh, Baptists for the first time are beginning to embrace the idea of eldership, uh, a lot of Baptist churches in the South for the first time are, are ha- starting to have elders, and not a lot of us, but the ones that are starting to have elders, I believe most of them have taken this further than they need to. It's, it's gotten in some places where they believe that elders, or they teach that elders need to have almost have a seminary degree in order to serve in the role of elder. And I don't think that's consistent at all with what Paul is saying in First Timothy or in Titus. That the word is apt to teach, or the, the phrase is apt to teach. And basically what it means is that they need to be able to communicate clearly the truths of the gospel to someone. Paul even said, look, I've reduced all of what I teach and have taught all of my life to basic, basically to this. I teach about Jesus Christ and him crucified and what that means. That's it. I'm not getting off into all this deep theology and requiring people who are leaders in the church to have deep theology. It's not that. There's nothing wrong with having deep theology. It's okay. But as a requirement or characteristic of an elder, it is not the spirit of what this passage is talking about. All the commentaries that I read related to this, none of them said anything about a pastor being able to preach. I mean, uh, uh, an elder being able to preach. Now, there are some of us as elders who are called to the ministry of preaching. And I would say, absolutely, an elder who's called to preach will be gifted in that way, right? Because God qualifies those that he calls. Uh, and, and God will give you that gift. But every elder, you don't need to look at elders and say, well, you know, when's he going to preach? Because I need to hear him preach. And there are some churches that all their elders have to have their turn being in the pulpit because people require it. That's not what he's talking about. But, we, but our elders do need to have uh, not only the ability to teach, but he needs to also be able to understand and communicate the words that God has given to the body. Uh, I don't want to fall short in this. And as we elect new elders, uh, I'm praying now about how, the God, how God would have me to communicate this truth to our elders. That the elders would know as well as I know what the distinctives of this body are, the things that God's called us to be and do, that they would be as clear on those things as I am. That I would feel comfortable with any of the elders to say, or any person in the church to say, go talk to Jeff, go talk to Eric, uh, go talk to our elders, any elder, and they will communicate to you what the distinctives of our body is, the things that God's called us to be and do those things that God has spoken that are consistent with his word and specific to this body. That's what an elder needs to be able to do. He needs to be able to communicate that. And so that requires two things. Number one, it requires a a, a head knowledge of those things. An elder needs to know that he knows that he knows in his mind what we do and why we do it. Okay? And so every one of you who desire to be an elder in this body and I would say an elder or a deacon, you need to understand, and we're going to give it to you in a way and, and require of you and ask of you the deeper commitment to understand these things so that you can communicate them to anybody in this community. But also, a second thing is not only to understand them with our brain, but practicing them. And here's the big challenge for all of us. It always has been. It's just walking in those things that we know. 
I challenged a group of men the other day in one of our in a, in a men's group that I, I really feel like this is the time where there's a line that's drawn, so to speak, and we need to cross it. We need to see ourselves stepping across the line that we're going to walk in the things that God's called us to do in the same way that we, this morning we talked about Elisha. We're going to burn everything else, and we're going to be all about walking with God. We're going to be all about abiding in him, which means we're going to be seeking him, pursuing him, asking for his will. And once we understand it, we're going to give all of our energy by the help of the Holy Spirit. We're going to walk in it. It may take us a while, but we're going to walk in it. We're going to fail, but we're going to walk in it. We're going to pursue it with all of our heart. That's the feel of this idea of being apt to teach. In order to be apt or able to teach, that, that's, that requires more than just head knowledge. Most of us under, uh, think about teaching as something that you go uh, to school and you learn math. And uh, you, co- you study that in college. You study math and education. And then you go teach kids how- math. You don't teach English. You just teach subject matter. Because you've got it up here and you know how to use it. All right, but we're talking about, in this way, we're talking about uh, not teaching just what we have in our heads. We're talking about what we're living, what we're using in our daily lives, how we're walking with God. Your life as an elder, as a, as a child of God who has the Holy Spirit flowing through you and you're walking with him, your life becomes your, the greatest teacher. And what you say with your mouth makes sense because they see it in your life. One of the things I love about our new member orientation is when I talk about these things, usually the people that are going through new member orientation have been with us for at least a few months, which is true for this group. And there's no surprises because they've already seen you guys living it out. And so it, 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 that's the idea. And elders need to be, all of us really need to be apt to teach. We need to be able to communicate the basics of the gospel and the truths that God's taught us about what it means to be a disciple to walk with him together uh, as a body of believers. Uh, at, uh, Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 9, which uh, I think I've told you this before, but Paul gives the characteristics of elders also to Titus, but it's a church. He's, he is pastoring a church called Crete, which is a new church. And so there's a lot of similarities and a few differences. But I like the way Titus describes this. He says in Titus 1, 9, he must... Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That gives a better feeling of what it means to be apt to teach. So he's given us the same thing. It's, it's uh, the same idea. He doesn't necessarily have to do this publicly from a pulpit or behind a music stand, uh, but he does need to be able to possess, uh, needs to possess the aptitude for being able to communicate and handle the word of God. All right, so he needs to, so an elder needs to be respectable or hospitable and able to teach. And then I'm, I'm going to, uh, hmm. I'm going to wait for the next one. Next week we're going to talk about not being a drunkard. Uh, by the way, those of you who are visiting the first time, I'm not waiting because we've got a lot of drunkards in our church. I, I'm waiting because I, I want to take some. I want to take the time to talk to kind of talk to you about the issue or concept of alcohol use, and and where uh, we as elders stand, and where I believe the scripture uh, stands in regard to that. Uh, so that'll be kind of a you know whet your appetite for next week's message. 
Uh, but an elder needs to not be a drunkard. So we're going to talk about that and that concept. If you want to do some research this week in preparation for it, it be good. But it's really a big topic. I want to talk about uh, alcohol use. And then in the context of what Scripture says about the use of alcohol, I want to talk about the standards or uh, what does it look like when someone is is pursuing God and stretching toward God and stretching toward their relationship with God, and that becomes the most significant aspect of their life. When they're doing that and they're with passion going after God, how does that affect their use of alcohol? So it'll be two different kind of levels next week, and I think really to do it justice. Uh, besides that, you guys look tired this morning, so we'll wait put that off for next week. All right, let's, let's apply what we learned today. Okay, let's take these, these ideas and just put them into practice. I hope that God will help us as a church to be people who are hospitable. That, that nobody will ever say about the Gathering Place West that we don't receive people. That, we're, that, we're, uh, you know, that, that they ever would come into this body and not find uh, in, immediately uh, an acceptance while they're being tested. You know, that, they, that nobody would come into this, into this body on a Sunday morning or come into a life group uh, on a weeknight and not find you guys being all about expressing love to them, accepting them while they go through a time of testing. I mean, my prayer is that nobody in this town would ever say that's an exclusive small group. They don't accept anybody. It's a closed group. I've never heard that, but I hope that I never will. And it really depends on you and how you receive people. But we need to be hospitable. And then we need to be faithful to to let people know what we're about, to be clear about what our doctrine is and what our beliefs are and what our practices are so that people can know whether they connect here or not. And then we can help them to find a church uh, if this is not the one for them. Uh, But if they come, man, we immediately, we embrace them. We we make them a part of this body. It's been such a blessing, man. Uh, At the time when God said it's time for you all to, to, uh, to expand beyond your core group, in that month, God provided this building, and God gave us 17 people that were ready to go. I mean, people that were like-minded, were on fire. We haven't had that since. But 17 people in the first couple of months after we got this building and had room to put people. I know that's God, and I know that he's continually growing our group with people that need to be a part of this body. So maybe you're one of those, those you know, that are visiting today. Uh, maybe you're one of those. And we definitely want you to be a part of this body if God's leading you to be here. Just pray through that. Make sure this is the place. And we will accept you and love you. Um, But also um, that we would know what we believe and not be caught off guard by so much of the theology that's going around today. If, If you have Internet access, you are a theologian nowadays. It doesn't matter. Whatever you believe, you can put it on the Internet. And people say, oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And we don't need to fall prey to that. We need to be not only know what we believe, but be able to com- communicate that to other people. Here's your test today. If somebody was to ask you, what do y'all, what do y'all believe at the gathering place? Can you communicate what we believe? Can you communicate what, we, what, we, what we're about? Can you communicate our, our mission, our motivation, our message, uh, our ministries? what it means to be missional. Um, Can you communicate those things to people in this community? Uh, If not, you need to. You need to be there and grasp this and own it 
and, and be able to teach that uh, to other people. So this is for you before it's ever for an elder. And our elders need to be those that strive for it and are absolutely committed to it. All right, so let's pray and ask the Lord regarding those things. As you, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, just to, to tune everything else out, just ask the Lord regarding those things in your life. I know this is more like lessons or teaching than preaching, but, you know, it's what God's called us to do right now. And I just pray that we won't walk out of here, that you won't walk out of here not making application. So ask about your own life. Ask God to give you in your heart a, a, a word right now regarding where you stand in regard to hospitality and in regard to your understanding and ability to teach the things that God's teaching us. And I'll pray for us. Father, it's my prayer today that uh, as we have met and worshiped, that God, a lot of things have happened in our hearts that will change us and change the way that we live and act. First of all, God, that we will find our joy in you. Make that happen, God. That these things will not be burdens, even the, the things that we're talking about, providing hospitality for people and teaching and knowing doctrine and knowing practices and being able to communicate the things you say to us. God, that those things wouldn't be a burden to us, but that we would find our joy in that. And that you would make us joyful people. Increase our joy. And Lord, I know that your word says that when we abide in you, that you, you uh, will f- complete our joy. And so help us to be obedient today in the things that you've spoken. And the, the things that you've spoken from this week, help us to apply those things in our lives. God, overwhelm us with joy. You're at our side. You're, you are in our presence. You are leading us. Lord, we set you before us today. And pray that you will show yourself real in each life and heart. In Jesus' name.